Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Good morning. It's funny Dylan should talk about that. Um, I never share with people that are coming up to kind of transition what you know, I, I plan to speak about or, or what's on my heart for today or, or whatever. Um, and it's, it's really amazing to me um, how many times they tie in together. And yeah, I think it's okay to be amazed by stuff like that. Um, that, you know, we're not like shocked and, and in disbelief when God does something, but we always just stay in that place of amazement, even if we're expecting it. Like when it comes to pass, like even things we have expectation for, that when they come to pass, there's an amazement in us. Where it's like, wow! <laughs> you know? Like, I, I, I knew you said that, and I knew you promised that, but, but wow! You know? Never lose that place of just of the, the awe, like the wonder of God. He's been speaking to me so much about that lately, of just like, God, Roy, when did I become this, this something that like, you know, when, when people encountered me and you read about me in the Word and just reading through the Bible, like, when did it become this thing where it became normal? Like, when did I ever become normal? Like, I, I'm trustworthy, I'm faithful, and I'm true, and I'll never go break my promises. I'll always deliver on my Word, but it's still amazing every time He does. And, and so, um, Dylan was talking about, you know, the, the, the promise of Jesus coming and how that prophecy was declared over Eve. Um, it's funny it wasn't declared over Adam because it wasn't going to be the seed of a man. It was going to be the seed of a woman birthed by the Holy Spirit that would bring forth the Christ child. Because the sin of man was passed down from Adam to all men. But when the Holy Spirit came and birthed that perfect uh, um, seed inside of Eve, there was no sin there. So he was born sinless, not born into the sin of Adam so that he could actually sacrifice himself as the perfect lamb on the cross. It had to be that way. And so, uh, so for... For thousands of years, there's this prophecy kind of just lingering there that says that, that there's one coming who you're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. And then Jesus said he's the firstborn of many brethren, meaning what? That there's a bunch of us coming now, and he may bruise our heel, but we're going to crush his head. Because that's what Jesus came to do, was what? To destroy the works of the devil. And then he said, as the Father sent me into this world, so I also send you. Listen, the, the demonic realm and, 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 and Satan's plan to destroy people's lives and steal people's joy and steal their life from them and steal the promises of God didn't end when the Bible was done being written. And the greatest, I believe one of the greatest deceptions that he's ever been able to pull off is to make us think that that stuff that we read about in the Bible isn't still going on today. That, that he's not still at work, that there's not still demonic attack, that there's not still an unseen realm that's more real than what we see, and that actually has more influence on what we see happening in this world than, than the things that we actually can see in the physical world. And, uh, and so I was just thinking about that promise um, and praying about this whole thing of like the awe and the wonder of God. And, and I, I opened up and was reading in Luke. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can open up to the Luke chapter 1. Uh, I'm going to just read a few different verses in here because in here you see a promise given by God and you see people's response to the promise. Um, and and it's, I think there's some interesting things in there. Um, so the first one is the foretelling of John the Baptist coming. His father's old. God seems to like to take old men to birth new things a lot of times. And, and I, honestly, and I think the reason why he does that, but yet he takes a young girl to bring forth his son. What is he doing? He's saying, listen, it doesn't work that way. It, you don't wait till you're 33 to try to begin a ministry like Jesus. You're 30 years old to try to begin a ministry like Jesus. There's no formula to it. I'll take an old man who's beyond his years. I'll take a young woman who never should be having a child yet, and I'll bring forth the greatest prophet that ever lived according to Jesus, and I'll bring forth my son through the other. Why? Because I don't really care about you trying to make a formula. I will use things that confuse you in the mind so that you stand in wonder of me and you just go, wow, isn't God amazing? Why? Because I think He's constantly wanting us to be in a state of worshiping and glorifying and being amazed at our Father and how amazing and awesome He is. And so He doesn't just take common things, right? So uh, the angel of the Lord comes to Zacharias and he says, you're going to bring forth a son. His name is going to be John. You're going to bring forth. And, 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 and Zacharias in, in chapter uh, 1, verse 18, here's his response. Zacharias said to the angel, 
How will I know this for certain? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. The angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. Just stop right there. What is he saying to Zachariah? He's saying, are you kidding me? That was his answer right there. It was like, no, you were already supposed to know. The fact that you're asking me this question means that anything I tell you isn't going to make up your mind. I honestly believe that when, Zach, when, when Gabriel said that to him, what he was saying to Zachariah was, there is no answer I could give you. Because you have me. I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God declaring this to you and you question me and say, how can I know this will be? There's nothing I could say to you that will ever convince you of this truth. He says to him, he says, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. His answer is this. You're asking me, how will I know this is going to happen? Not how will this happen? And the answer and the certainty of it happening was already supposed to be planted in your heart because of the way God said it to you. I'm Gabriel, the one who stands in the presence of God. And I've been sent from heaven to tell you this thing. And he says to him, and behold, you should be silent and unable to speak until the day comes when these things take place. Why? Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. So because he didn't believe the angel. See, God's okay with our questions. It just depends on where they're coming from. Because while man's busy looking at the outside, God's looking at the heart. And he understands not just what's being asked, but he understands why is this being asked of me. Why are you asking me this, Zechariah? And he realizes, Zechariah is asking me, how will I know this is true? Because he doesn't believe. Not because he's curious about, well, you know, I'm old and my wife is advanced beyond her years, and so I believe you. I'm just wondering how is this going to happen. That's not what's in his heart. In his heart is, I don't believe you. And the reason why is because I trust what I see and what I know above what you've said. And the angel looks at him and says, you're going to be silent until these things come to pass because you didn't believe my words. Jump down to verse 34. Now we have a diff- an angel bringing a different prophecy to a different person. This is coming to Mary. And he's telling her an even bigger deal. He's saying, listen, all Zechariah had to believe was something that he should have believed already because it happened with Abraham and Sarah. It wasn't really that big a deal for God. And, and, if, and, and as, a, as a good Jew, he would have known the history of what God did with Abraham and Sarah. And so it shouldn't have been so hard for him to conceive that God could bring forth a child to people who were past their years of childbearing. Especially when an angel shows up and tells you. This wouldn't have been like so earth-shattering. Whoa, I mean, it's, it's an amazing thing, but it's something they should have had a grid for. Like this is something God's done before. And so now the angel comes, and this time he has a little bit different proclamation to make. He's about to declare something that there would be no grid for. He shows up to a woman who's never been with a man. A young girl, a teenage girl. And he says to her, Mary, you're blessed of God. You're favored of the Lord. And you're going to bring forth His Son. His name will be Jesus. He'll be the Savior of the world. And Mary's response sounds sounds like Zacharias. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? The angel answered her and said to her, you notice the angel didn't give Zachariah an explanation? He didn't give him any knowledge of how this would happen. He didn't say, the Lord will open your wife's womb, make it fertile again. He, he, he didn't say any of that to him. He said, I'm Gabriel who stands in the sight of God. I've been sent here to send you this message, and because you haven't believed, you're going to be quiet until the day these things happen because this is going to happen. But his response to Mary is totally different. The angel answered her, 
and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has, been, has con- also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So, is God in heaven saying, I really do like women better than men? And I'm okay with a woman questioning me, but I'm not okay with a man questioning me? Because their, their, their responses to what the angels say sound pretty similar. They both are asking how it's going to happen, and they both have a reason in their mind that it couldn't happen. But the angel's response is totally different to Mary. Why? Because I believe that Mary believed in her heart that it was going to happen. She was just genuinely curious, how's this going to happen? Because the angel said to Zechariah, because you have not believed my words. Zechariah was cynical. He had cynicism in his heart because of what he knew, because of, of science, because of age, because of all the things that he knew. He let what he knew overshadow what was being spoken to him by Gabriel, the angel who stands in the presence of God. But Mary looks at him, and I believe in her heart she believed it. And we have to believe that because the angel didn't say because you didn't believe. The angel actually answers her. Why? Because she was just genuinely genuinely curious. Okay, how's this going to happen? Cynicism gets silenced. Curiosity gets answered. And I believe when God speaks to us, the way that we respond in our mouth is far less important than the way that we respond in our heart. And while man's busy looking at the outside, he's busy looking at our heart and he understands, is this question coming because you genuinely believe me and you want to know how I'm going to do it? Because if so, I'll answer that. Because I am, I am always a- wanting to give knowledge to the one who seeks. But if it's cynicism, if it's doubt, if it's unbelief in my heart, and that's what's causing the question to be asked, I might actually silence you because life and death is held in the power of the tongue and I don't want you to mess up the thing that I've prophesied. So if I have to, I'll shut your mouth because there's nothing but doubt coming out. Well, that seems harsh. No, that's the Word. Why? Because He's way more committed to seeing the prophecy fulfilled than He is with you being able to open your mouth and doubt. He's so committed to His Word. He's so committed to the things that He spoke over your life. We were singing earlier, you know, um, I wrote it down in my phone. We were singing earlier, it said, uh, you're never going to let me down. And that's an easy thing to say to God, but I believe that God can say that back to us. And here's why. Because while we may have moments in our life that look like we've let God down of unfaithfulness, of faithlessness, and those kind of things, God doesn't look at the individual moments and base what He calls us based upon those things because even when we're faithless, He is faithful. And for proof of that, I was actually going to do a whole message on this, and now I'm just not going to be able to. But for proof of that, you can read what happened with Abraham and Sarah in the Old Testament, and then read the recording of it in Hebrews in the New Testament. And you read about the unfaithfulness, and you read about the doubt, and you read about Sarah laughing and scoffing when she's told that she's going to have a child. But then you read in Hebrews, and it says, and Sarah believed God. Why? Because when he looks back at her life, he calls her faithful based on the whole of her life, not based on the unfaithfulness of a moment. And he's so committed to who you are that he's saying, you're never going to let me down. Why? Because he said his word will not return to him void without accomplishing that which he sent it forth to do. What is he saying? The things I've spoke over your life and who I've called you to be, you're not coming back to me. What is heaven? It's returning back to the one who we came from. What is he saying? I'm not going to allow you to come back to me without accomplishing everything that I set my word forth to do. When I knit you together and I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew and I, I, I decided and I spoke over your life who you are and I'm not going to let you return back to me without accomplishing everything that I sent forth. That's the word. So as we're singing, you're never going to let me down. I believe he's in heaven saying, oh, and you just don't know. I'm holding on to you. You're never going to let me down. I'm not going to let you because he who began a good work in you is faithful to finish it. It's, this, is your, this is the Bible. That's why it takes faith to believe it because it's too good to be true naturally. It's why, why Zechariah was silenced. 
Because it was too good for him to believe. How can this be? I'm old. My wife's advanced beyond her age. And the angel looks at him and makes a decision in the moment. I don't know if heaven spoke to him or if he gave Gabriel the ability to look into man's heart. But he understands these questions are coming from a heart that doesn't believe. And because of that, you're going to be silent until this thing comes to pass. Because I am committed to seeing this come to pass. And I don't want your doubt and your words of death to kill what I've birthed in your wife's womb. It would be better to say nothing than to speak death when God is bringing a promise of life. God, shut my mouth before I open it and cynically speak death over something that you're bringing life to. I've been so convicted of that. I'm telling you, just of like letting my intellect or getting my, letting my reasoning get in the way of just being amazed and saying, wow, God, that's amazing. That's awesome. How are we going to do that? Not... Well, how are you going to do that? See, there's a difference. There's a difference in saying, like, God, I just, whatever, you're going to have to do it because I can't, in frustration over believing there's nothing I can do, or saying, God, you're going to have to do this because there's no way that I can, in full belief that there's something that He can do that I can't. There's a total difference, and even though it sounds like the same thing coming out of our mouth, it's the position of the heart that makes the difference. So, thanks, Hannah. Hey, everyone likes to be encouraged. I don't need it because I know where this came from, but it's always nice to, to, to get it anyway. So he doesn't silence Mary. Why? Because he trusts that when Mary opens her mouth and speaks, if she does, it's going to be from a heart of faith, not a heart of doubt, not a cynical heart. But he silences Zechariah. And what if part of him entrusting his words to people is the condition of the heart and the heart that believes God and just says, okay, God, that's awesome. That's amazing. How are we going to do this? He entrusts more of his word to and allows us to speak his word. And the person who hears that and says, oh, I don't know. How are you going to ever do that? He says, all right, no more for them. I don't want anything coming out of their mouth. I'll entrust my word to somebody who when they open their mouth, the questions that come out, even if there's questions, will be inspired by belief in me, faith in me, and an assurance that I will do what I said that I was going to do. And now they're just curiously and wondrously asking me, how is this going to happen? I think that actually excites him. Because it shows that we believe. Two different responses. One shows unbelief, one shows belief, and they sound the same. But one is saying, oh, I believe it. What, how, how? Like a little kid, like, how's this going to happen? How's this going to happen, God? Stay in that place. Jesus said, unless you become like a child. Unless you be converted and become like a child. What's he saying? Unless you have faith like a child. Unless you just believe things because your dad said so. Remember when you were little? I remember when I was little. My dad's here this morning. I remember when he told me something, I just believed it and it didn't matter what anybody else said. I still do most of the time because he's one of the most honest and full of integrity men that I've ever known in my life. So if he says something, I just believe it. But there was a time where when I was a little kid, like he could have said things to me and it didn't matter. He could have told me he could jump over the moon and come back and I would have just been like, how do you do that? Show me. Not from a place of cynicism. You get older and you understand the laws of gravity and you understand physics and you understand science and chemistry and atmosphere and all those sorts of things. And suddenly when someone says something, when your dad says something, what comes into your heart and what comes out of your mouth is based on what you know, not based on what he said. It's okay to do that with our earthly dads. But I believe God's not really impressed when we do that with him. And really wants people who just respond with faith like a child and say, okay, how? What if our level of believing in His goodness plays a huge part, not in how good He is, but in how much of His goodness we actually experience? See, we believe by faith God framed the world. Spoke it into existence. We believe by faith that He sent His Son to die on a cross for our sins. We believe by faith that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. We believe all these things by faith, and by faith we receive all of these things. By faith, Abraham hoped against hope and saw the promise of a son. 
What if our belief, what if Mary's belief, what if God looked down and saw that Mary had a heart that said, I believe God can do anything. And so he said, there's the one that I'm going to use to bring forth my son. What if God's not in heaven picking favorites because he's not a respecter of person. He's given everybody the ability to believe him and then he just responds to belief. And what we look at as, well, God, they just won the heavenly lottery. You know, like God's got the, the, the prices right wheel and it's got all our names on it. He just... Almost me. He picked Ben. What if he's actually in heaven looking for those whose hearts are fully his that he can entrust himself to? What if him being a respecter of persons doesn't mean that he doesn't give more to one person than he gives to another? What if it means that everybody has an equal, or equal chance to receive the more of God? And that receiving is based more on our belief than it is actually on his just sovereignly picking. Well, he said that his son came to die for the sin of the world. John the Baptist sees him and says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of who? The world. So who receives the, the actual forgiveness and the washing of the blood of Jesus? It's those who by faith believe and put their trust in Him. So what if He's in heaven the same way that He is towards the most precious thing, which is the blood of Jesus, and, he, and, he, and He's responding to the faith that people put in Him in the same way that He responds to the faith in, that we have in the blood of Jesus. He responds to the, to the faith that we have in everything that He's promised. And when He sees someone who has a heart like Mary's, it says, hey, let it be done to me as you've said. Because He sees that that's what's in her heart. He says, there's the one I'm going to entrust myself to. It's just a thought. What if the way that we respond when we hear a promise of God actually matters? What if Gideon still had to go do the thing that God called him to do to become the thing that God called him? What if Gideon could have said, I'm going to stay here in the wine press because it's too scary out there? What if he actually had a choice and we're not robots and we don't have to do the thing that God calls us to do, we choose to do it, and that's why he rewards those who diligently seek him? What if there's no reward if there's no response? Because those who come to God must believe that he is. First, you can't come to a God that you don't believe is there. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Not just seek Him. It even qualifies how they're going to seek Him that are going to be rewarded by Him. So what if God in heaven says, I'm, I'm the rewarder of those who diligently seek Me, and every one of you have an opportunity to diligently seek Me, but I'm not fair in the sense that I give to everybody whether they diligently seek Me or not. I'm fair in the sense that I give everybody the opportunity to diligently seek Me, and I reward those who actually believe and take Me up on My Word. And we're sitting here saying, well, God, it's not fair that they got. Listen, trust me, for one thing, you don't want God to be fair. You want Him to be good, and He is. You would rather have the goodness of God than the fairness of God, because if we had the fairness of God, every one of us would get exactly what we deserve. And Jesus would have exactly what He deserved. But God, in His amazing love for us, actually swapped those things in showing us what? The Gospel is the declaration that He's not fair, He's good. It was not fair for Jesus to have to take the sin of the world on when He was sinless and perfect and won every single temptation. It was nothing fair about Him saying, Father, if there's any other way, take this cup from, from Me. But nevertheless, not My will, but Thy will be done. Proving what? There's two wills on the earth. There's My will and there's His will. And when I surrender My will to His will, I can endure anything He calls Me to for the joy that's set before Me. I, I'm, I, I plan on it, Will. And so, so we, me and my wife one time, and most of you guys have heard this story before, but there's a part of it that I haven't really talked about as much, but my wife and I were, um, we, we believe that, that, that the word is true in every aspect of it, and one word says that to owe no man nothing but to love them. And, um, and so we just, in our hearts, were like, you know what, we want to be debt free. We don't want to have debt. We want to owe no man. And so, um, so we, we began paying off our debt as aggressively as possible. And I mean, we did everything we could do from cutting cable to cutting gym memberships to, you know, you name it, we did it to try to get out of debt. 
and we, we, we had no debt, zero debt left except for our home, which we owed $105,000, $104,800 on. And we talked to a friend of ours, Carl, and we were, just, we were talking about you know, our heart towards that and just about different financial decisions we were trying to make and what we should do. And he said, you know, if, I think if you just get before the Lord and you just submit that to Him and say, God, this is what we can do. Right now, we can afford to pay about $150 a month extra on our mortgage. If you just will do what you can and submit that to Him, He'll do what you can't and He'll breathe on it. And so I told Patty that and we got together and we just got on our knees in our bedroom and we, we just said, Lord... We submit this to you. In the natural, we don't really see how this can happen any faster than an extra knocking maybe an extra eight years off of our mortgage or whatever it was going to be. But, but this is our heart, and we're just asking you, God, we're doing everything that we can. Would you breathe on it? Would you do what we can't? Um, I leave the room. My wife doesn't tell me, but she writes down what she heard, and she heard, before this time next year, your home will be paid off. And her response was beautiful. It wasn't, I can't believe that. It was, whoa, that's amazing. I wonder how that's going to happen. She told me later, she thought, maybe Roy's going to write a book. (laughs) Or maybe he's just going to get asked to speak all these different places and some places are just going to bless him like crazy. Her heart was never to doubt that it could happen. It was to ask questions of God as to how it could happen, how it would happen, because He spoke it. So much so that she actually wrote it down in the journal. Two months later, we open an envelope with an anonymous check for us for $105,000. We run straight to the bank with it, make sure it's real, then we run straight to the bank that has our mortgage, and we pay off our mortgage. Am I saying that if you get on your knees and pray and pay an extra hundred fit. No, we're not making a formula out of it, but we are saying that God is able to do more than we could think or ask. But it starts with us thinking that He can and asking that He would. And then when He speaks, rather than crushing the seed that's planted and saying, there's no way. Like, that's pretty big to believe that in a year... You know, in, in the natural, we would be able to pay off, you know, maybe an extra seven, I don't know, $7,000 or something, not even the $1,600. In the natural, that's what it looked like, but to believe that within a year, and I believe that when God sent that word forward and the, the heart that it landed in, and maybe He sent it to Patty and not to me because of my response of my heart would have been a little different than hers. I, I want to think that I would have responded the same way she did, but He told her, not me. But what if her response is the thing that allowed God to do the thing that He wanted to do? Because she actually believed. And instead of disbelieving and saying, how could that happen? You can have whatever you'd like. After, because he said, your house will be paid off by this time next year. He knows us so well. He knew that I would, I could have the faith to believe that and do it. Mm-hmm. That's really good. That is. So, in all of this, I started thinking, well, because it's, it's one thing to read the Bible and go, bad Zachariah, good Mary. It just is. It's easy to do that. You know, we read the Bible and every time we hear the we see the word Pharisee in our mind, we hear boo, you know, like bad people. And then Jesus looks and says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees. What was he saying? These are righteous men. They are as righteous as you can be apart from my ability to make you righteous and make you clean. He was they were the standard for human righteousness according to Jesus. And it's easy to say, bad Zachariah, good Mary, but I started thinking about just in my own life, and I started looking through and thinking just and asking God, like, God, is there anything in me that, that, that you want to root out? Is there anything in me? And, and he started showing me, you know, that, 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 
there is some of that in me sometimes. And, 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 I'll, and, I'll, and I'll just be honest with you that one of the ways that that's in me is I look at people and I see the things that God's doing in their life and a lot of times if I'm not careful, if I'm not yielded to the Spirit and I'm not actively saying, God, I give this to You. Father, I, I surrender over my thoughts to You. God, if I'm, if I'm not careful, I can look and I can start to judge whether or not they deserve what God's doing based on what I know about their life. It's just the truth. I know, the halo's shrinking. Well, get rid of the halo. We'll all have them in heaven. But I started thinking like, man, if I'm not careful, this can take root in my life. And I don't ever want to be so prideful that I, I hear a message and think, well, this is going to be a good one. A lot of people really need to hear this and not think, well, Roy, this is a really good word. You need to hear this first. Because I'm not studying the Bible to try to get a message for you. I'm studying the Bible so that I can be changed by His Word. And so I start thinking about I am fully capable of believing this. That if I would have been told from a reliable source that Peter denied to a slave girl, a servant girl, that he even knew who Jesus was, that I would have not only had a hard time receiving from Peter not long after that, I might have been tempted to look back at the things I had heard about his life and go, walked on water, huh? The rock? I have a friend who was at a campfire and heard him asked by a little girl, hey, weren't you with him? I never knew the man. Are you kidding me? You think God's going to let that guy walk on water? You think God's going to call him the rock and say the thing that came from your mouth, which is revelation from the heart of the Father, is going to be the thing that I'm going to build my church on? Give me a break. Not only that, but a little while later, when Peter stands up and begins to preach, all I would have heard in my head if I wasn't yielded to his Spirit and I wasn't letting my heart be open and I didn't take it the way that I should take it, I would have been listening to what he said and thinking, how are you going to tell me about him when you said you don't even know him a few days ago? Now you're going to tell me a way to get to him? And for him to get to me? And a few days ago you didn't even know him? Give me a break. And I would have fully missed out on the revelation that Peter carried because I was so hung up on knowing him at his worst moment and judging his whole life by his worst moment and allowing cynicism into my heart and saying because he was this way in this moment, there's no way he can be any other way in any other moment. That's just me. I know no one else struggles with that. There's people on the podcast that need to hear that. You guys just have to endure listening so that they can hear it. I wrote this down. If we aren't careful, we will see or hear of a bad moment or bad time in someone's life and judge them by that. The problem is that the same one who denied knowing Jesus was the one that Jesus entrusted to be the apostle to the people that would have known Him at His worst. He doesn't call Peter to be the apostle to the Gentiles. He calls him to be the apostle to the Jews. The very ones who would have had full knowledge of his betrayal and his denial. Why? I believe he was giving them an opportunity to say, wow, God's amazing. Instead of, are you kidding me? The one who didn't, said he didn't know him? Not, not basing what I eat based on him having some vision in a trance. Are you kidding me? Come on, if we're not careful, we find ourselves in that place where we look at someone and because we know of something in their past or we know of something in their life or we saw something or we heard something from a friend, we start hearing things about that person and instantly we start allowing judgments and cynical cynicism to build up in our heart and we think, how in the world? Why would God ever trust them? You know why? Because we're perfect and we think that we deserve what they have and we don't understand they didn't get what they have at our expense. They got it at the Father's expense. And He doesn't have a lack. And he doesn't, it's not like He can't bless me just because He blessed them. In fact, maybe I should say, God, if You can use them, You can use me. But instead, 
cynicism says, I just don't know if God would ever choose him. The apostle to the Jews, Peter, I, I, I just I have a hard time believing that. You mean the guy that cut the ear off? Listen, these are the people he's called to bring the gospel to. Are the people who he cut the ear off of their servants? Jesus had to undo what Peter did right in front of them. What was he saying? His response is not my response. This is what he's saying to the people by grabbing the ear and putting it back on to Malchus' servant. He's saying to them, what he did is not an accurate representation of who I am, yet I'm going to entrust him to be an accurate representation of the Father to you in a little while. Just you wait. And you're going to have to make a choice to whether you're going to be amazed and in awe of what I can do with a man's heart or become cynical and not receive from him because of what you knew. It was an opportunity for people to either marvel and wonder at the grace and redemption of God or be cynical and allow what they knew to cloud what God was doing. Think about it. He takes Saul. He's on the road to Damascus. You ever think about that word, Damascus? Damascus? And he's on his way to Damascus. I just think that's cool that that's where he was headed. And he gets blinded, knocked off his horse. He says, Saul, you don't understand. It's me that you're persecuting. You think that you're serving me. You're actually persecuting me. And he says, who are you, Lord? You ever had one of those moments where he's so real and so powerful and so in your face that you're just like, who are you? It shakes everything you thought you knew. And Saul says, who are you, Lord? And he tells him, he says, ah, you want to know who I am? And he takes him away into the desert and he begins to show him exactly who he is. Be careful the questions that you ask him because sometimes he'll answer them. And sometimes it'll cost you. But what they gain is well worth it. So he tell, it takes him to the desert. He gives him the revelation. And then he takes the man who was hated and feared by the church, by Christianity, by the people of the time. He was the person who was the, the one who gave approval to Stephen's stoning. And he entrusts him with the revelation of the new covenant, with the revelation of who Christ in us is, and sends him out into the world. And here again is another opportunity for people to allow what they knew or what they believe to be the thing that determines the response of their heart. Because what they knew about Saul, now Paul, is totally different than who God is saying that Paul now is. And they have to choose. Am I either going to be cynical and not receive from him, which some people had a hard time receiving from him, or am I going to allow this to be just another instance for me to be amazed and stand in wonder of God and say, oh, who are you, Lord? You can do anything. In your life, God will do many things just to adjust your idea of how good He is. And a lot of times when He's doing something to adjust your idea and your thinking of how good He is, the enemy is coming along and trying to use it to make you cynical. And the way that you respond and the voice that you listen to decides whether or not you become more like Him, more childlike, more faith-filled, more filled with wonder and awe, or whether you become more cynical, more jaded, and more critical. And it's the way that you believe and the way you see the Father that causes one or the other. There's two kingdoms vying for your heart. And in those instances where God is using something around you to show you how good He is, allow the wonder and the awe of God to be the first thing that enters into your thought rather than the cynical and the questioning of the person that He's doing it with. Be like Mary. Have questions, but let them be from a place of belief. Oh my gosh! God! What did you do to Saul? Are you kidding me? That's amazing. He was, he was trying to kill everyone and find us and drag us off and now he's preaching the Gospel and people are coming to know you because of the words of his mouth. You're amazing. How did you do that? 
That's a whole lot different than, are you kidding me? You guys are telling me you went to a meeting and Saul, I'm sorry, Paul spoke? Well, you think because he's got a new name that I'm supposed to forget everything that he did? Sorry, it doesn't work that way with me. I forgive, but I don't forget. And you think I'm going to take what he's saying over what has been said for thousands of years and what I can point to in the Torah? I'm sorry. If you think that God would use someone like that and wouldn't tell me, why? Because our opinion of ourselves is so jacked up if we're not surrendered and yielded to the guiding of His Spirit. And we'll look and think, if He was going to tell anybody, it would be me. And I think He told Saul just so that that would be completely destroyed in people's minds. And so that forever we would say, you know, God could tell anybody. And I'm certainly not going to judge whether I receive based on what I knew about them. I'm going to base my receiving on what the Spirit inside of me is bearing witness to. And I'm not going to let what I know get in the way of what God knows. Because if my knowing and His knowing are ever opposed, I'm wrong. Every time. Every time. Ephesians verse three, chapter, uh, chapter uh, 3, verse 20 says, Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. You, because God was the sa- is the same yesterday, today, and forever, don't be surprised when God is still doing things like this in your life. And don't be surprised when God wants to do things that your intellect will cause you to be cynical about if you let it. Because He wants to do above you what you could ask or think. In other words, you don't have a grid for the things that God wants to do in your life. You can't have a grid for it because it's above your ability to ask or think. What He wants to do is far better than what you could imagine. It's probably far different than what you could imagine. And if you have an idea of what God can do or can't do because of what you've done or haven't done in your life, you could probably sit there and have a promise of God spoken to you by Gabriel who stands in the presence of the Lord and doubt it because your heart tells you that there's something wrong with you and so there must be something wrong with what He's saying. As if God was in heaven and He missed with a dart. As if God was in heaven looking down and said, go tell Roy this. And really meant to say, go tell Corey this. And the angel just misunderstood and went flying. You know, And as he's coming down, he's going, was it Roy or Corey? Roy, I think Corey, I think that's what he said. Corey? Yeah, there's Corey. And look, he's in church and he's worshiping God. It must be Corey. And he gives Corey Roy's that doesn't happen. When God speaks something to you, He is fully aware of who He's talking to. He's fully aware of who He's talking to. It's not as if you're going to be like, but God, and tell Him something that He didn't know, and Him go, I forgot about that, you're right. If I would have remembered that, I never would have said that to you. You got me. You can't be hoodwinked, you can't be faked out, and He's not forgetting who you were but He is busy believing and seeing who you're becoming. I promise you, He's so much more interested. Listen, our reasoning and our intellect will talk us out of the promises of God so many times because they're beyond our ability to think. That's why it takes faith. You realize that God only reasons that I know of, Mark will correct me on this later in the parking lot probably, but that I know of, God only reasons with man and says let's reason together one time. He discusses things with Abraham. He discusses things with Moses. But he says, come let us reason together. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though you are, they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. That's God's idea of reasonable. How reasonable is that? He says, listen, if you want to reason, here's how you have to reason. I'm so good that your sins are like this, but I'm going to make them like that. Your sins look one way, and I'm going to make them another way. You want to reason with me? This is the way that I reason. I look at you and see who you are, and then I say this is who you're going to become. So don't let intellect and reasoning talk you out of something that God is speaking to you. Cynicism... In a cynical heart. That's why in the Word where it says guard, I'm going to just close up with this, but in the Word it says guard your heart for from it flow the issues of life or from it is the well of life. What is he saying to guard your heart against? I think there's a lot of things you have to guard your heart against, but I think one of the things that he really wants us to guard our hearts against is becoming hardened and cynical towards him. Yeah. 
and towards others. And putting ourselves in a place of judgment and saying, well, I just don't know if God would ever do that with them because, and we start bringing it up. Listen to me, every single one of us that lives that way would have missed what Peter was saying when Peter came and said, here's what you have to do to be saved. The faith of those Pharisees to listen to the man who just a few days before said he didn't know who Jesus was. It's pretty amazing. They come to a man who, who looked at, at, at three times in, in 24 hours, three times in less than 24 hours. He said, I don't even know who he is. I never met the man. I don't know the man. They fall on their knees in front of that same man and say, what must we do to be saved? Why? Because they believe what God's doing, not what Peter's done. Man, that we would all live in that place where we look to what God's doing rather than what we know people have done. Where we don't set ourselves up as the judge and the jury of what God would do through somebody and we allow what we read in the Word to shape the way that we see things in the world. And it just destroys our paradigm and it destroys our judgments. Let what God did with Peter destroy your judgment of what God could do with you or with others around you. Let God, what God did with Saul destroy your judgment of what God could do with you or with others around you. Let's humble ourselves before Him and say, God, I want to receive from whoever You want me to receive from. I don't ever want my judgment to get in the way of Your Word. I don't ever want to get my cynicism let my heart become cynical to the point that when I hear you promise something, the first thing I do is think of all the reasons that it couldn't. And when I open my mouth, what comes out is doubt rather than wonder and amazement. Let me be in a place like Mary that looks at you with wonder and amazement when I hear it and say, how's this going to happen? I'm a virgin. That wasn't doubt. That wasn't, how's this going to happen? I'm a virgin. That was, how's this going to happen? I'm a virgin. What does He do? To the one who responds in wonder and with faith, He gives the answer. To the one who responds in cynicism and in doubt, He silences His mouth. Same words, different heart. And you can't fake Him out because if your heart doesn't believe and you try to say something that sounds good in the moment to look like you do, Everyone around you will think, wow, that's awesome. Look at Roy. He's so humble. He can receive from anybody. And God's in heaven while men are looking at what I'm doing on the outside, looking at the heart and saying, are you kidding me? He doesn't believe that. He has his reward. What did he receive? He received the praises of men. He received the opinions of men. But the true reward that comes from heaven, he's not going to get because while everyone's looking at his mouth, I'm looking at his heart. I, I, I so agree with what Dylan said earlier that, that we are in a season where God is bringing things to fruition that He's spoken. I, 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 that He spoke. I believe that we're in a season where God is actually saying, be it, unto you, be it unto you according to your faith. If He was that way in the Bible times, if that, was, if that was what Jesus said and Jesus is the perfect representation of the Father, why do we ever believe that Jesus would look at us and say, why don't we believe that Jesus would ever look at us and say the same thing to us? Be it to you according to your faith. Not be it to you according to my will. What was he saying? The will is always there. It was their faith that caused it to happen. That's the words of Jesus. And Jesus said these words that I speak are not my own. They're from the Father. What's he saying? It was the Father's response. The Father looks at the woman and says, be it to you according to your faith. If He would have said, my will, we could close up the book and we could go home and say, you know what? Everything that God wants to happen is going to happen. There's nothing that we can do that makes any bit of difference. problem with that is that over and over again, Jesus said, and Jesus seeing the faith of the friends, and Jesus seeing the faith of the centurion, and Jesus seeing the faith of the woman, and Jesus said, power just flew out, flowed out of me. Who touched me? How can you ask us who touched you? We're in a, we're in a crowded place. No, no. Somebody touched me and virtue, power flowed out of me. Who was it? And the woman says, it was me. Who was it? The woman who said, if I could just touch the hem of His garment, I'll be made whole. And Jesus looked at her and said, your faith has made you whole. 
So what if we're in a season right now where God's looking to entrust Himself to those whose hearts are fully His? And His response is not based on His will. His response is based on the position of our hearts. And that we play a whole lot bigger role in this thing than we ever imagined. And that maybe there really is a Father in Heaven who looks down and still says like He did in the days of Jesus, be it to you according to your faith. What if these stories are not so that we can look back and think what an amazing God He was, so we can look forward and say what an amazing God He is and what an amazing God He will be. What if He wants us writing books not to be canonized as Holy Scripture, but what if our books, the books of our lives are supposed to look the same as the books of those people's lives? And that we have them as a reference for what our life should look like, not as a gloating of what our life could have looked like had we been born a few thousand years ago, but too bad. See, because it didn't, if it ended when Jesus died, I would get it. If there was never a recording of another miracle after that point, we would say, well, he came to earth to show what God was capable of. And once he did that, and now it's written down and recorded, now everything's done. And the power that was in Jesus is back in heaven now. And one day when we get to heaven, that same power will fill our lives. But there's a problem with that because Jesus goes to heaven and it keeps on happening and it keeps reproducing and it actually gets more and more and more throughout the time of the recording of the Bible. Stephen was a man who worked many miracles. Stephen was an original disciple. He wasn't one of the 13 or even one of the 144. He was just a man filled with the Spirit who believed God. God, I just ask that in our lives, in our hearts, that you would root out any root, any seed, any, any cynicism, any skepticism, any doubt that tries to take place, God. Anything that would come against what we read in your word, God, that literally you would be so real to us that when we hear of you doing something, rather than trying to figure out why it couldn't happen, we're amazed that it could. And it prompts even greater faith in us for what you will do. God, I pray that we would never become a people that believe that is okay with you being the God of the miraculous, the God of the amazing, the God of the weird, the God of the wild in the Bible, but is content with you being the God of being perfectly able to be understood in the present. That you really still want to do things above all that we could even think or ask. That we would let what we read in the Word spur us into a greater belief of who You are, not who You were. And that our response would be faith, God. That, That we would believe things and just take them at their Word. And if something turns out not to be true, that we don't let that affect us the next time we hear something because we understand that while people are flawed, You're not. And that just because somebody managed to mess something up, it doesn't at all tarnish Your good name. And it doesn't at all make you less willing and likely to do it through someone else. I just thank you for that, Father. In Jesus' name, Amen.